All right, this is a new set of teaching that we are recording for Pod School called Becoming a Mighty Man of Valor, and we subtitle it A Not So Overnight Process. This will be a, probably, as it stands, three lessons long. We originally wrote this about a decade ago when we were doing ministers' meetings, when we were in the habit of training up ministers or, or trying our best, kind of continuing what Pastor Vaughn had started 25, 30 years ago. And so this is a giant lesson that is what's biblically called or hermeneutically called a principalization, where we study the pattern of David and his mighty men, and we pull from that principle and then apply it to us in the New Testament. And of course, Dr. Barclay has a famous teaching called the Captain's Mantle, which ties directly to what happens in the Cave of Dulem. And I don't remember where I got all this from, but probably that teaching spawned all this, where the principle is these broken down men gathered to David in a cave. So now you got a whole bunch of broken down people, but they don't stay there. And that's the principle we're going after. We come to church messed up, dejected, maybe barely born again, hurt, poor, marriage is dysfunctional. But if we come to church and we stay the same, something's broken in the church or maybe just broken in us. But anytime you come to church and you come under godly leadership, things should change in your life. So these lessons, I think I have 13 or 14 steps based on the pattern of David and his mighty men that we should learn from so that we don't stay the same. Uh, I, it, it's taken probably 10 years to have the confidence to say it, but the more I study it and learn it and live it out, the more I see the truth behind it, is that whoever God has called you to has things you need and has graces and anointings. It doesn't mean he has or she has hobbies you need or dress style you need. That's natural. Henceforth, knowing no man after the flesh. But if God's endorsing them, then there's things they have that you need. Behavior style, mental disposition, discipline, doctrine, graces. And it takes a tremendous amount of pride to get around people and not take on a little bit of their flavor. It takes tremendous discipline. Rebellion. What is so dysfunctional in a human being that you can come to church and stay the same? You've, in a sense, you've got to become almost like a sponge that when you get around the people you're called to be around, you absorb what they've got. And then you put up that defensive mechanism around pagans. I do marvel that Christians can come to church, take on zero flavor of the church, go to work and become a pagan at the job. How come your sponge works the wrong direction? You're absorbing the bad but not the good. Something is dysfunctional in that heart. So let's look at this. There's a lot to cover this morning. Let's look at our lesson. Our God is a God of promotion and increase. God never wants to leave us in the condition he found us at the time of our salvation. And that is one of the names of the game when it comes to discipleship. You don't stay the same. You're growing brighter and brighter until the perfect day. He wants, us to take, he wants to take us and make something great out of each and every one of us. This is a study of how David was able to take miserable men and make them fierce warriors. That's what we want to do. We want to be able to come to church, whoever and however we are, and not stay the same. There's, there's a healthy pattern or a healthy balance of looking up to someone, but it becomes unhealthy when you look up to them to the fact where you discredit your ability to be like them. It's easy to come to church, go to a martial arts dojo or sit at the feet of a musician that's tutoring you and say, I look up to you, but there's no way I could ever become like you. That almost becomes a cop-out 
and an excuse to stay the same. Paul said, everything I have, become like it. The things you've heard and seen and learned, do. Be like me. Follow me even as I follow the Lord. God said, be holy even as I am holy. So when God expects us to be like him, then you better believe he expects you to be like whatever leadership he sets in your life. But when you say in your heart, there's no way I could ever be like that, you're giving yourself an excuse to not get better. And any, any leader behind a pulpit who God's ordaining or authorizing will tell you, we're just people too. And perhaps the only difference between us and you is that we serve God and we're counted faithful and set apart. But we have to walk this thing out just like you do. So if we're capable of overcoming things, you are too. And that's why we try to tell our story so you know where we came from, what we've overcome, what we're even overcoming while we're leading so that you don't take this false humility, cop-out excuse that says, well, I could never be as holy as so-and-so. I could never pray as much as pastor so-and-so. I could never be as disciplined as so-and-so. No, what you're saying is you don't even want to try. But if they can do it, you can do it. Amen. Amen. Their growth, these, these men, these mighty men of valor, their growth from timidity to ferocity is a great pattern for us today. From timidity to ferocity is a tremendous pattern for us. They didn't stay the same, and it didn't take long for them to become notorious. King David one of David's greatest helps were his mighty men of valor. There are 17 references in the Bible to David's mighty men, so they have quite a legacy. These men helped David because he had helped them. They owed David their life and livelihood, and as a result, they gave David their heart. But David's mighty men of valor did not start off that way, and neither will you or I. God has called every Christian to become a great person of valor. Let us learn how to become a great champion of valor from the example of David and his men. You don't get to come to church and stay the same. And God ordains pastors and their wives, elders and elders' wives, deacons and deacons' wives. He brings in traveling ministers so you can see what is capable if a man and woman will wholeheartedly set their faith towards serving Jesus Christ. If somebody else with a pulse can do it, so can you. You don't get to say... Well, they're just so great and mighty, I'll never be like them. We are living examples that you're supposed to live out. We're supposed to be epistles that when you can't interpret the scripture, you can look at our life and say, well, yeah, just wanting to be more like that. And that way it's a living example and not so much a studied one. But please don't use the example, I can never be like them or never be like Miss so-and-so or never be like Miss this person or Reverend that. That's, that is a fallacy where you are using it as an excuse to stay lazy and stay the same. And it's, it's not acceptable in the harder eyes of God. If he's calling us to do it, you can do it too. So please hear that. Here's a list of men who started off as distressed, in debt, and in despair. They were vagabonds. They were hopeless. And yet look at what David did with them. The catalog of David's mighty men, Joab... This is David's captain. He took the stronghold of Jabus by himself. This is also David's nephew. Jabus, this stronghold, is also called Zion. Uh, it's also called the city of David. It is where Solomon built the temple. It is where the heavenly Jerusalem will touch down. David set Joab over the host, and Joab became chief and captain. This was a man who gathered to David, originally distressed, freaking out, despairing, no money. And something happens in the cave of Dulem 
to where now Jabus, a city full of Jebusites, is single-handedly taken by one man. And I think, well, we, we conject, we understand, they saw what David was capable of, and these people gathered to David when David was being hunted like a dog. They could have gathered to Saul, but they could see the distinction. There's something on David. Even though he's on the run for his life, there's something on David we want. And if, if David can succeed while he's being hunted by the king, if we can get around David, we can succeed too. Part of the necessary ingredient to this is want to, desire, that you're not happy staying the same. You're not happy with the legacy of your past. You're not happy with the legacy of your last name. You're not happy with the current state of affairs. So you seek somebody out, or God is gracious enough to get you to some person you don't know you need yet, to live something out in front of you so you can see what is possible. A lot of what's required, though, is you drop your pride. Staying the same is arrogant. Well, this is just who I am. Change it. This is how we've always thought. Change it. This is how I was raised. Change it. This has worked good enough so far. No, it hasn't. Change it. <laughs> These guys, they might have been messed up, but they were humble. Because we know that this is all David's kinfolk, too. It takes a lot of humility to submit to family. That's hard. Because this is, and David being the runt of the litter, this is especially hard. This is the baby boy, but they have seen him rise through the greatness of Saul's army and his favor. They're joined to him because they want better. All right. Adino, he killed 801 battle with a spear. Killing one person with a spear is impressive. You get like one shot and then you got to go retrieve it. So how many times is he throwing this thing or just jabbing him through and putting his foot up, pulling it out? That's a lot of work. And just sometime prior, he's terrified, hiding in a cave, a whipped coward of a man. Something happened. Eleazar, he killed Philistines all day long until his hand claved to his sword. He was not letting go. He just hacked them to pieces. He had caught part of David's anointing. David's calling and anointing was to eradicate the Philistines. This guy, Eleazar, partook of that grace and anointing. Shammah, he and David fought together against the Philistines in a barley field. Well, I think Kings calls it a lentil field. You got to know you love your king when you're fighting over a field of beans. <laughs> I wouldn't fight over it. I'd tell the Philistines, if you want it, you be gassy and bloaty all day long. I don't want it. <laughs> Abishai slew 300 with a spear. He also killed 18,000 at the Battle of Edom. How? All I want to know is how. A soldier today with a machine gun would do well to kill 18,000. Maybe he was over a troop of men, and that number was credited to him because he was the captain. But either way, you got to realize these men started off as poor Jews, terrified. And when they severed themselves from Saul, they were going to be hunted like dogs too. But their desire to live better outweighed their fear of dying at the hands of Saul. And we just don't have that kind of desire for change in, in the nation today. As long as I have my food, why should I change? As long as I have air conditioning, why should I change? As long as I have a car, why should I change? As long as I can live my comfortable middle-class white life, why be better for God? It's a pretty shallow existence, and it, it mocks God. Jehoiada slew two lion-like men. He killed a lion in a pit on a snowy day. He fought an Egyptian who was eight feet, eight inches tall, 
And like David, he killed that giant with that giant's own weapon. David set him over his guard. David said, I, I think that's a pretty good resume. <laughs> just whatever you do, just put it in the rest of my guys. I don't have time anymore. Teach them how to kill ferocious men and how to kill giants with their own weapons. You caught the vision. You're hired. And then Uriah the Hittite. This man learned honor and fearless cunning from David. He was fearsomely loyal to David, even to his own death. David betrayed him through adultery and murder. So this is kind of a catalog of some of the names and their accomplishments. These men, we like to point out, everything they did, David did first. So these men really captured the DNA, the attitude, the vision of David, and they learned it in a cave, and probably from the stories that were spread about David. These men wanted to be like David. These men wanted to be, even if it risked their life, because by joining to David, you're being treasonous. You're committing treason against King Saul. You're saying, we believe David's king, and that uh, God is done with King Saul, which is an insult to the king. And we just can't wait to help David eradicate King Saul, which is assassination, which if you remember from your stories, they, they provoked David to assassinate the king twice. Think about that. You're convinced you're called to be the next president and the men around you are talking you into assassinating President Trump. That's what they're asking David to do. Think it, let that, because we lose track of the cultural setting, but if we put it in that context, you've worked inside the president of the United States, his office. He doesn't like you anymore, but God has said you'll be president one day. And everybody that gathers to you says, go ahead and take him out now and you'll be president. That's what they're asking him to do. That's what's at stake here. And the fact that the nation is divided and folks are joining to David but in doing so, they know their life's at risk. That shows you how bad they want better. They could stay under Saul, but it would stay same old, same old. And I guess maybe now's a good time to ask the question, when's the last time you were so hungry for change you sought it even if it destroyed part of your life? Even if it killed status quo? Because you can't have better and maintain status quo simultaneously. Something has to die for you to get better. And you got to be willing to make that sacrifice. So steps to greatness. I think I said I've got 13 or 14. We'll cover six this lesson, then another three or four, and then another three or four. Step number one to getting better, you got to find a captain. You don't get better on your own. It is impossible to. If you did get better on your own, it would take you your entire life, and you'd be reinventing the wheel, and all you'd have to show for 60 years is a better wheel. And life is a lot more than just better wheels. First Samuel 22, 2, the famous verse, And everyone that was in distress, and everyone that was in debt, and everyone that was discontent and bitter of soul, they gathered themselves unto David, and he became a captain over them, and they were with him about 400 men. This is the pattern of pastoring. Because when you say, Lord, send me people, he never sends you the strongest he never sends you the mightiest. He tends to send you those that are broken down, discontent, and dysfunctional. And he usually sends them to you when you don't want them. And they look at you and they say, help. <laughs> and this is supposed to be the move of God. Or you can be like the hireling and poach the best talent out of other churches by throwing lots of money at them, which goes on in our community. Which is pretty shiftless. It's impossible to be great on your own. 
Every one of us needs someone to help raise us up in life. You have to have somebody greater than you in your life, and you've got to trust them. The call of God on David's life began a work of leadership in the lives of those men who joined themselves to him. David can only perfect those that came to him. He couldn't perfect Solomon, or excuse me, um, Saul or the Benjamites. They were faithful to Saul because Saul was a Benjamite. When these men joined David, they had nothing to offer. And this, is, again, is part of pastoring. Most folks, when they come into church, they have nothing to offer. They're broken down. They're dysfunctional. They're, they're discontent. But at least they're hungry enough. And that's what you've got to have. Hunger is the hardest thing to put in any person, especially in America. We have a great drought of hunger in this nation because we're full of Starbucks. We're full of food. We're full of entertainment. We're full of social media. We're full of whatever. It doesn't matter how broken and dysfunctional you may be, your hunger makes you valuable. People who are full have zero value to the kingdom because you can't command them. You can't train them. You can't raise them. You can't use them. People who are full are of zero value. So get hungry for God and watch your value go up. Amen. You need a captain the most when you have nothing to offer. And this is often when people stay away from a pastor because they think they have nothing to offer. These 400 men included members of David's family. These men submitted not just themselves to David's leadership, but their families as well. Because it said 400 men, and then we go on to understand later that there's wives and children. They brought all their families to David and said, help, do something. <laughs> just whatever you tell us to do, we'll do it, but just do something because it's evident we can't do anything. When you take inventory of your life and you're distressed, that means you're bitter of soul and you're hurt in your heart and you're in debt, and you're despairing and discontented, that's a good place to say, just, just somebody fix me. Just tell me what to do. It's evident I'm really lame at life, and my decision-making has only gone so far. Just tell me what to do, and I'll do it, and I'll trust you. If it's 25 push-ups every hour for the next 100 hours, then that's what I'll do. But you got to trust somebody more than yourself, somebody that the hand of God is evidently on and who God has promoted you got to trust that person and say, whatever you got, just do it in me. Show me how to be like you. Go back to like the karate kid. And Daniel's son goes to Mr. Miyagi. And he just says, teach me. And he trusts him, even if he's got to wax cars and paint fences all day long. And he thought he was stupid after a while. If you know the classic movie with Pat Morita and uh, Ralph Macchio. He thought it was the dumbest thing ever until he realized he had been slicked and tricked into learning karate by waxing cars and painting fences. And when it was all said and done, he had a pretty fence, and he got to pick his own car. But nowadays, you got folks that are just stupid know-it-alls, which is such a contradictory, stupid know-it-alls. If you know it all, then how come God isn't promoting you? If you know it all, how come your life still goes around mama's circle, daddy's legacy? you got to trust somebody who's gone before you and submitted to their leadership, too. Step 1A, be sure the captain you pick is also submitted. That makes for good sense. I wouldn't submit to anybody who couldn't tell me who their pastor was. I have a dear ministry friend, one of my, one of my dearest friends, and he does not have a pastor. He has a kind of a pastor, 
But when I ask him about his pastor, he gives me more reasons why he can't fully submit as to why he can. To which case, he's not submitted at all because submission only begins when you disagree. And I, my heart hurts for him. In fact, I was thinking about him this morning. I thought, he needs to get that thing resolved. He needs to get over any offense he has with his pastor and get this thing right so he can actually start receiving help, spiritual insight, correction, even from somebody he disagrees with. You're supposed to disagree with people. If you all think the same, you're just a bunch of lemmings. But he's not fully submitted, which means his ministry will continue to kind of limp or grow askew because he doesn't trust that voice outside of his own head that says, don't do that, because he's got these other three issues that he's offended at. So grow up. Grow up and trust somebody more than you trust yourself. David, it says of David, 1 Samuel 22, 5, And the prophet Gad said unto David, Abide not in the stronghold, that is the cave of Adullam. Depart and get thee into the land of Judah. Then David debated and disagreed with the prophet and said, You don't know what you're talking about. You don't know what's going on out there. No. Then David departed and came into the forest of Hereth. Adullam is near Philistine territory, which is where David just came from. He is feigned madness. Now he's fled into the cave of Adullam. He's got 400 men. They're hanging out in the stronghold of the cave of Adullam. Gad finds the, the cave. <laughs> Imagine the prophet knows where this hiding spot is, but King Saul doesn't. And Gad walks in and says, you can't stay here. God says, get out. Get down into Judah, your territory. So David says, hey, the man of God says, get out. So now David's got to relay that to 400 men and families. The prophet said, we're going. So if you're with me, pack your junk up. We're going. Wherever David goes, we go. And then 1 Samuel 22, 9b and 10 it says, I saw the son of Jesse, David, coming to Nob, the city of priests, to Ahimelech, the priest, the son of Ahitub. And he inquired of the Lord for David and gave David victuals and gave David the sword of Goliath, the Philistine. So this is um, uh, this young man narking on David to King Saul. And he's testifying that when Saul, this happens, this story happens back in chapter 21. And when, they, when Jonathan shoots the arrows and says, the long arrow means my dad is against you. David flees, realizing he's lost all favor with Saul, and now he's going to be hunted. The first thing he does is go to the city of priests to inquire of the Lord, what do I do? That is a submitted man. The first thing he does is not try to cause a, an insurrection against King Saul. He doesn't try to assassinate the king. He doesn't try to debate the king. He runs for his life to the city of priests because he's submitted and he asks for wisdom from the Spirit of God. That's what he does. And that priest not only gives him the word of the Lord, he gives him food and he gives him David's trophy, the sword of Goliath, which probably was prophetic at the time. Not, not that David's going to use it because a normal human being cannot wield a giant sword. But I kind of see it as a testimony. Remember, God was with you then. See how big this sword is? And you beat this big sword, you'll beat the big sword of Saul too. It's a trophy, a reminder that God was with you then and you keep putting God first, he'll be with you again and again and again. Two examples of David being a submitted man. 
David was a submitted man, first to his father, then to King Saul. Even as he was being pursued by King Saul, David remained a submitted man. He was submitted to the God-ordained spiritual authority in Israel, from the prophet to the priest. He knew that spiritual submission was a vital key to maintaining his life and constant victory when the enemy was moving against him. You need to make sure that your captain is submitted because even captains need pruning. They need checks and balances. And if you don't have those checks and balances, I can tell you in ministry, it's really easy to get a momentum going. And then you, when somebody says you need to prune that, you can totally resist and say, you don't understand, I've got a momentum. But that momentum can become your idol. That momentum can become your gospel. And it needs to be pruned from time to time so you don't skew too far one way or the other. When I've watched my fellow ministers fail, it's because they skewed too far one way or another with something that was once good, but they never allowed someone to come into their life and say, that's enough. Let's get back over here. That's, we've, we've gone far enough. No, no, you don't understand. No, you can keep marching that direction if you want to, but I can judge it from the outside and say, it's grown wild. Yes, it's growing, but it's grown wild. Prune that thing back. David had these kind of men in his life, even though he was captain, soon to be king, prophet, he still had others who would come in and rebuke him. You've got to let other folks rebuke you. Can't do this on your own. You can't be the greatest voice in your life. Make sure your captain is submitted to someone greater than himself. Only arrogant and self-deceived men lead on their own. Oh, and I got so many pastor friends who don't actually have pastors. That's a scary place to be. Step two, trust in the safety of having a captain. 1 Samuel twenty two twenty three. David said uh, to Abiathar, the only man who escaped when Saul killed the city of priests at Nob, he said, Abide you with me and fear not, for he that seeks your life seeks mine. Be thou with me, uh, but thou with me shall be in safeguard. He said, Rest with me, fear not, come to my camp. The guys that want to kill you want to kill me, but if you'll stay with me, you'll be safe. There's a safety in having a captain over your life. Uh, I, I appreciate it. I had somebody text me last night. said, Pastor, I'm just checking in. You know I'm about to start this season again because I failed the first season. Do you have anything from the Lord for me? What's God saying to you as my pastor? And I said, I've got nothing for you. I said, that tells me we've prayed about this for the last five years. This is the last thing God told you to do, so just keep marching at it. And they said, thank you so much. They, I appreciate that they kind of bounced that off of me because they were probably in a fog of war or distracted and they just needed some kind of confidence to know I'm marching in the right direction. And they wanted to know, did I have anything for them? I said, I've got no concern for you. It may be miserable for you right now, but I've got no concern for you. So keep doing the last thing God told you to do. Saul slew all the Lord's priests for unknowingly helping David. Only Abiathar escaped from the sword of Saul and made his way to David. A captain will help keep you safe from the enemy. A captain has experience when you don't. A captain can usually fix your problems a lot faster than you can. <laughs> because we're the captain. We've been promoted. We've been at this longer. And so if you'll just listen, the captain knows how to troubleshoot you. And if you can just trust it and say, all right, I'll do it. They say 25 push-ups a day every hour on the hour. I'll do it. It'll get, make me better. Wax on, wax off. Paint on, paint off. When we, if those of us from the 80s, we watched enough Ralph Macho, we could half fight the Cobra Kai ourselves. 
waxing on and doing our thing. If you just trust the leadership God has called you to. So step two was trust having as trust in the safety of having a captain. Captains get orders and you've got to trust those. Uh, again, you were called to the cave of Dulem. Either you trust what's going on there or you don't. I think it's our, even maybe it's a Tex football stadium. There's a sign, or maybe it's some other place, coming into either the weight room or coming into the football field. There's a sign that says, trust the process. And what that implies is it's going to be miserable every day in workouts. And you're going to want to quit half a dozen times, and you're not going to see any purpose in doing burpees or sprints or making you run with a parachute on your back till you throw up. But if you'll just shut up and trust the process, we might actually win some OVC championships. That alone would make you say, I don't think this process is working because Tennessee Tech does not ever win any OVC championships. But the sign is motivational. Trust the process. Uh, you think about the Navy SEAL process. If you've ever studied on those guys, they go through Hell Week. They go through BUDS training. They go through Sears training. They go through all that training. And it's miserable. And most of it's psychological, but they trust the process because it spits out the best warriors in the world on the other side. And everybody wants to be a SEAL or revere a SEAL. But you trust the process. You don't have, they, in, in the SEAL training, they call them sugar cookies when they make them go down to the beach at Coronado and roll around in 54-degree water and then roll in the sand in full military dress. So you're soaking wet, 54-degree water, 54-degree temperature, and now you're covered in sand. That's called making a sugar cookie. And then you go run another 10K. Or then you go paddle in a Zodiac boat. Or you go do flutter kicks all week long. It's all designed to break people down. Trust the process. What does this have to do with killing Al-Qaeda? Trust the process. What does is, what is being faithful at ministry helps have to do with my life? Trust the process. What does giving the tithe have to do with serving God? Trust the process. Why, why does pastor always tell me to smile? Because you don't. Your face is a horrible advertisement for Jesus Christ. When you look like a pagan totem, there's no outward expression of inward hope. Why does pastor always tell me smile? Because you don't. Trust the process. Amen. Amen. <laughs> uh, you think if you were really born again and had that second fruit of the Spirit working, then we wouldn't have to tell you smile every day. Everybody's got a tough season. I don't ever go to a funeral and tell somebody to smile. That's an appropriate time to weep. But when you got to be told like five services out of seven, smile, just trust the process. Actually, just get in on the process. Step three, trust your captain to hear from God. 1 Samuel 23, 2. Therefore David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go and smite these Philistines? And the Lord said unto David, Go and smite the Philistines and save Keilah. Now this was an uh, a Israelite city in Judah, and they were being ransacked by the Philistines. And word comes to David while they're hiding down in the forest. Keilah is being attacked. And so David, he's, he's anointed to be king. And when you're anointed to be king, you just can't sit and let your people be attacked. So this is bugging him, but he's not king. The real question is, why isn't the king doing anything about this? Probably because the anointing is already transferred off of Saul onto David. But David doesn't just jump to the assumption that he has permission to do this because he's really not officially king yet. 
And by going and doing this, it's going to draw Saul's attention. He's got 400 men and their families with him. He's very mindful of all this, but it's bugging him that the Philistines are killing Israelites and attacking their fields. So he seeks God. Should I go? And he's not going to go by himself. He's got to take these new recruits. So this is going to be their first test. Have they caught the vision everywhere we've been hiding? David inquires, and the Lord says, Go and smite these Philistines. So be confident in knowing that leadership is anointed to hear from heaven for the direction of the ministry and even for your life. When David prays and God says go, David knows he's putting 400 men at risk, 400 fathers, 400 husbands. He can risk losing people, and he's got to come back and answer for that. That's why he's not entering into this lightly. David is a military strategist. He understands what's at stake, but he can't sit still. Leadership is anointed to hear from heaven in order to do what they are called to do. So you have to trust that your captain can hear from God for the direction of the assignment, the mission, and that if you'll be a part of it, you'll benefit from it. But that brings us to this next step, step number four, be honest with your captain. So 1 Samuel 23, 3, and David's men said to him, this is the next verse, we're afraid here in Judah. <laughs> How much more than if we come to Kela and fight against the armies of the Philistines? We're scared when everything is nice. We're still cowards. We're still spineless. We're still, still fearful. Um, can we reconsider this? Do we have to go door-to-door -door evangelizing? Do we have to raise money for this missionary assignment? Do we have to start another church? Do we have to come to every prayer service? We're afraid being middle-class white Americans in our comfort castles of mediocrity. And you're stretching us, David, but at least they're honest. And you have every right to be honest and say, I'm scared. Or they don't say we disagree. They just say we're scared. Can you maybe reconsider? They're honest. They're not necessarily trying to make an excuse. They're just being honest. You've trained us. We're pretty good with spears against straw dummies in a cave. But these are real people we got to go up against, and we're not real sure about this. Keep an open line of communication with your captain. David's men were scared while in their comfort zone. Then there came an assignment to leave their comfort zone and go to war. But then again, you'll never know what you've learned until you, you try it. You never know what you've learned until you step out and get after it. They trusted their captain enough to reason with him and express their weaknesses. And every good captain should probably have an open-door policy to hear what people have to say. <laughs> Wednesday night, we had a visitor here. They came in a little bit late. And as soon as service was over, uh, she wanted to talk with me. And I always like to talk to visitors. And she, she's probably 24, 25. She wanted to challenge me on every doctrinal point. And I, I humored her. But... I kept asking her, what, what is your point? What are you trying to ask? Why, why are you wanting to debate me on doctrine? And then she told me what ministry she was affiliated with. And I, I tactfully left that alone because I didn't want to undermine who she looks up to. And after she kept asking question after question, because she's being honest and she's not afraid of me, and I appreciate that. But I said, ma'am, it really sounds like we're saying the same thing just with different language. And she, 
it was convoluted. The elders began to kind of move in and hover in case I needed deliverance. <laughs> but I said, here's the problem. You're connected with this ministry in this city, right? Yes, sir. This man has been ostracized by the body of Christ for being a heretic. And his grace doctrine is screwy. And he overemphasizes Paul. Well, but Paul wrote the New Testament. I said, Paul wrote part of the New Testament. You can't forget about Jude and James and John and Peter and Luke. Those in Matthew, they wrote the New Testament as well. And didn't have time to go into Gnosticism with her or some of these heretics from the 3rd and 4th century who only emphasized Pauline grace, which is what this famous, former famous minister did or is doing. And so I appreciate that she could come to me, and yet I'm not sure if she heard anything I had to say. I guess I say that to say, we have an open-door policy. You're welcome to disagree with anything or come and express your fear, but you also have to be willing to hear what I have to say, which you probably didn't the first time, which is why you're trying to come have a disagreement. But we all, I'm open for debating anything. They trusted their captain enough to reason with him and express their fears and weaknesses. Their captain never condemned them for their honesty and openness. Having a captain is not having a dictator, but captains are also not clairvoyant. That means we don't know what you're thinking usually unless the word of the Lord comes to us or unless you have one of those ugly faces, those that don't smile. And when you come to church every service and you just scowl at me, that's a pretty easy read. And what I'm reading is you don't have victory. Because when you have victory, you just can't help but smile. Even in a football game, when you watch your team win, or they, you, know, you know, like there's no time possible for the other team to come back, you just start smiling at victory. You're like, yeah, it's going to be a good day. I don't see how Christians can come to church every service and not smile. I understand tough seasons, but every season? Weeping may endure for a night, a season, but then joy comes in the morning. So at some point, you got to actually go find some. Amazon has it, two-day prime it. You can get it. And it shouldn't have to be squeezed out of you. It should just kind of be there. Step number five. See step number three. Then David inquired of the Lord yet again, Lord, should I go up to Kayla and fight? Because my guys are scared, and these are all I got. And the Lord answered unto him and said, Arise, go down to Kayla, and I will deliver the Philistines into your hand. What is step three? Trust your captain to hear from God. David took into consideration his men's fear and sought the Lord again for direction. I, I can tell you that I do that when the elders say, I'm not sure about this pastor, or somebody else might express a, a frustration or a complaint. We'll go reevaluate it, see what the Lord has to say. We're always making adjustments. Pastoring is a lot like riding a unicycle. You're making thousands of adjustments and computations a second, but if you do it right, it just looks like you've got perfect balance. But there's all this adjustment going on constantly to adjust for this and calibrate for that. And honestly, as a captain and a leader, the more intel or the more information I have, the better we can make decisions. If uh, we might be marching hard one direction, then I get word that four people, their, their houses flooded, we'll stop everything to go take care of those four houses. We can be marching some way hard for the will of God, but if we have a storm event and four, four folks' homes flood, there's no sense going door to door. We've got to go take care of ours. They need help. And so, yeah, God's called us to go into all the world, but he's also called us to care for our own too. And so we'll stop that. But if you don't tell us, 
Pastor, I'd love to come to evangelism, but I just, I just can't. Why not? Well, why? My house flooded. Tell me. Let's fix it. We'll get some pumps. We'll get some guys. We'll, we'll fix this thing. You got to be able to speak up. You have every right to speak up. Speak up. But then when we pray and seek God again, and it's the same answer, all right, God has spoken. We've heard the word of the Lord. Let's march on. Amen. Sometimes the assignment will not change, so we will have to. Never forget that the whole reason for having a captain in your life is to accomplish change you could not possibly achieve on your own. If every decision is made to cater towards you and your comfort, you're never going to change. So most assignments coming from the, the, the captain of the host, the Lord Jesus Christ, through the captain, the local pastor, it's probably going to stretch you at some capacity. You will eventually get battle-hardened and you'll get experienced, and this will be just another day at the work to you. Before long, it'll take a lot to stretch you in the kingdom. But if coming to church is a stretch, you need to grow up. <laughs> if tithing is a stretch, you need to grow up. If coming to prayer is a stretch, you need to grow up. If sacrificing is a stretch, you need to grow up. If a work day is a stretch, you need to grow up. If hard preaching hurts you, you need to grow up. Eventually, the fullness of the kingdom is just life, and anything less than that is like a day at the toddler daycare. It's like a day at the puppy spa. I'm ashamed that our culture has even developed puppy spas and dog bakeries. Somebody, somebody, Marlon was telling me he was talking to somebody who he watched them go for a, from a good church to they went to a lesser church because, you know, they said we had enough of that, that church. It's just too much. So then they went to the lesser church. And then that lesser church well, it was just too big, so they went to the, one of the satellite campuses because, you know, it's much smaller, and when it's smaller and it's a satellite, you're further removed from any semblance of authority and accountability. And so Marlon said, well, you know, uh, well, what seems to be the problem? They said, well, our dog. And he said, well, just get rid of the dog. And he said, and then they blew up. Then they got emotional. Then they got excited, and he made the observation. They weren't excited about Jesus. They weren't emotionally invested in their church. But the second he just mentioned, well, get rid of the dog and you can serve God better. Now they've got emotion. Now they've got faith. Now they've got excitement. Now they're willing to fight. Fight to stay home to take care of a dog, but won't fight to sacrifice for the Lamb of God. You got your, your investments in the wrong kind of animal. When the Bible speaks of dogs, they're not as man's best friend. There's the kind of people you don't want to be. A dog in the King James Old Testament is a homosexual prostitute. Beware the dogs. Beware the concision. If you bite and devour, take heed lest you be consumed. So I'm not against you having a dog, but don't ever rob God or skip church for your little idol called a dog. The ancient Egyptians worshipped cats and dogs. And we're not far removed from that. We just don't call them Anubis. That was the jackal god, which is just a dog. Find your captain, stay faithful, and advance this kingdom. So that concludes the first five, or I should say, yeah, five steps plus one sub A to becoming a mighty man of valor. And remember, we said this is a not-so-overnight process. These men did not go into Adullam and kill lions the next day. They went into Adullam, and then they debated with whether they should even go up for the first battle. But where we're leaving off is 
They're afraid, and God says, go and do it afraid anyway and see what you're made of. You just won't know until you step out. Father, we thank you for these lessons for pod school. We thank you for the truths of becoming a mighty man of valor. And we're so thankful that you have restored or, or contained in your word the stories of David and his mighty men of valor for our example and our testimony and our edification. May every one of us become a mighty man or woman of valor in Jesus' name. Amen.